Let's pray together. Father, we're just so thankful this morning that we can be together. And Lord, we bless you for just the truth we've been able to think about as we sing these lovely songs, Lord, and the truth of the cross, of your great love. And Lord, we just want to bless you today together. We want to thank you, O oh God. Father, as we come to your word, we would ask for grace, we would ask for help. And Lord, uh, we confess our need, Lord, that we just need to hear the Spirit of God speaking today. And so, Lord, we're just coming to you in our need and asking, Lord, that you would do something today in our hearts and in our lives, and that, Father, we would leave here different than when we came in. And so, God, we just ask that you would bless our time together, and, Father, we just commit it to you now. In the Lord Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read James chapter 2. Uh, let's stand together in honor of the Word of God. James chapter 2, 14 through 26. It says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. There likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Please be seated. Uh, just before I begin, um, uh, Phoebe was asking me uh, earlier about you know, how we wound up in Cape Breton, and, and I really wasn't intending to give my story today. We shared a little bit of that last fall. Um, but what I do want to point out is that uh, there's an article on your board down here that kind of explains the journey of how we wound up in Cape Breton, which is an interesting story. And suffice it to say this is that, you know, we never really intended to go to Cape Breton, and uh, it was the least, the further thing from our mind. Um, and in fact, we originally said no. <laughs> but nonetheless, the Lord took us there. So if you're interested in that story, it's a really cool story. I'd love to share it with you, but that wasn't my intent today. But the Lord made it very clear to us that Cape Breton is where we were in fact going, but it, it took him a little bit of, uh, shall we say, a hard work in my life to kind of get that worked out. <laughs> but we're thrilled to be there. We've been there for just coming up on our two-year anniversary now, and uh, things are going well. I mean, since I was here in the fall, we've had another man in town saved. We've had probably five or six people more join the church. Uh, we have a number of people right on the edges, crowding around the edges, and so... The Lord is certainly blessing, and we're growing, and we're excited about the work in Cape Breton. So if you have more questions about that specifically, come and see me afterwards, and I'll be happy to share that with you. If you ever want to come on up, please do. We love to have company. We love visitors, so please just come on up and, uh, yeah, spend some time with us in Cape Breton. We'd love to see you. So we have a very practical portion today, and, you know, it's, it's really one that's been the subject of debate in the church for centuries. I mean, this whole business of faith and works, and, you know, we, we're very familiar with Paul and what he wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, that we're saved by faith, you know, and not of works, and yet we have James here saying something that seems on the surface a little bit different. And so th there's this tension here, you know, what, what's really going on? 
you know, is James contradicting Paul? Some people felt that, you know, when James wrote this epistle, of course, we don't know this for sure, but that perhaps James was writing after Paul and he was trying to maybe straighten out some misconceptions in the church based on Paul's writings. But we don't know that. But we do know that Martin Luther, of course, you know, the great reformer, he struggled with this to the point that he he had a hard time with James. In fact, he relegated the book of James and the book of Revelation to the appendix in his, his, his Bible when he published it, uh, Luther's Bible in German. And, and, and Luther felt, oh, there's no gospel in the book of James. It can't be, it can't be good, you know. But I want to uh, dig into that this morning and see what James is really saying. And really, I don't think there's any debate at all. In fact, they're, they're beautiful truths that mesh, to get, mesh together when we understand them. And I think we have here a, a very much needed message for the church today and in my life today. And like I say, when I, when I read this passage and passages like it, it brings conviction to my heart. And, I, and I'm not here this morning to try and convict you or, or lay anything heavy on you. That's not my purpose. I only share what the Lord's put on my heart and what I, I see a need in my own life. Um, so all the fingers are pointed at me this morning. <clears throat> but right off the bat, he says, what, What's it profit, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith but, but does not have works? Can faith save him? And I want to come back to this verse. We're not going to answer that question right yet because as we go through our passage, in the context, we're going to answer this question. So we're going to circle back to verse 14 as we wrap up. What does he mean? Well, in 15 and 16, he's given us a very specific situation to kind of give us context about this faith and works dynamic. And he talks about a brother or sister being naked, being destitute of daily food, somebody who's really impoverished. He's coming into the church. He's asking for help. And basically our response is, you know what? Oh, we wish you very well. Be on your way. And, you know, we might look at that and say, man, like that seems pretty extreme. I mean, could that possibly happen in the church today? Like could that possibly happen amongst Christians that we could be aware of the physical needs of our brothers and sisters and, you know, wish them well but not really, you know, help them practically in their, in their life situation? Surely not. And yet, um, I've seen that. I've witnessed that. And I've, I've been guilty of that myself in the past. There's no question about that. And, you know, we've all heard that expression, it's the thought that counts. You have a friend of mine that, you know, every year when his wife's birthday uh, rolled around, uh, he would never buy her a present, but he thought about it. <laughs> and he says, it's the thought that counts. And I thought about it. I didn't buy her one. <laughs> but really, you know, the, it's, it's, it's more than that, right? Um, it's not just the thought that counts, but it's actions that, that James is speaking of here. How can, how can this possibly happen, right? Practical needs that we're really just ignoring as a church, but I, I've been guilty of that in my life as a Christian. There's no question about that. I've, I've been aware of needs that I have not met, that I've not even attempted to meet, and, I, and I've made all kinds of excuses in my mind. It's like, you know, oh, well, you know, go get a job, or, you know, you know, do what I do in life and you'll be fine. And, and all kinds of excuses in my mind to justify not helping people. And sometimes we can even use, you know, prudence or, 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 or uh, trying to be careful with the Lord's resources as an excuse. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. There is wisdom, of course. But, you know, if we're going to use that as an excuse not to, to give practical help to, to, the, to the family of God, then we're in the wrong space as the Lord's people. I remember hearing the story years, many years ago, 25 years ago, uh, a, long, a long way from here. <laughs> and, you know, this particular church, you know, someone came with a need and they wanted to help this particular person, so they did. But there was such a lack of distrust that, that one of the men followed this guy afterwards and followed him right into the grocery store and was spying on him to see what he was spending the money on. 
And I don't think that's the spirit of what James is getting at here, you know, that kind, of, that kind of attitude. And Jesus has this amazing command that I find so amazingly convicting and convincing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 42, he says, Give to him who asks of you. And from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. He doesn't put any conditions on this. It's, it's amazing to me. And I feel myself personally that, you know, my responsibility before the Lord is just to simply do that. And you know what? If a, if a person, uh, you know, uh, abuses that or somehow, you know, takes advantage of me, well, that he'll answer to the Lord for that. But inasmuch as we are aware of needs and we, and we, out of a heart that wants to serve the Lord and wants to demonstrate our faith and we're trying to help them legitimately and they're pulling the wool over our eyes, well, we have, you know, served Christ. And the Lord knows that. Right? Because for the Lord, it's all about our heart's attitude. It's all about that, that motivation within us. And that's not to say if I know, you know, I'm not, I don't, please don't misunderstand me, right? I know about abuses, and I know about, you know, people who have addictions and so on and so forth. We, we deal with that in Inverness all the time. And sometimes the best way to help people is not necessarily, you know, 20 bucks in the hand, because we know what they're going to do with that. That's not what I'm talking about, right? But we want to meet that need, and I remember, you know, this is a story I'll share with you. When I was a young man back in uh, the, the mid-80s, late-80s, I had gone through uh, a period of time where I was losing a lot of weight. I was a little thinner than I am now. So much so that the man who ran the factory, his first name was Larry. I can't remember now. This is late-80s. Ran the factory that I worked in. I was a supervisor at the time. And he called me in. So he's two or three levels above me. And he calls me in. And he sits me down in front of his desk, and I'm telling you, I am nervous. Because, you know, in those days, there was still quite a bit of respect in the workplace. And when the, the top guy of the, running the manufacturing plant, you know, we all wore suits and ties in those days still. There was no casual. And I'm sitting in front of this guy. I'm shaking in my boots. I figure, oh, my goodness, like, am I going to lose my job? Did I do something wrong? You know, because everybody had total respect for Larry. And he just started to talk to me about life. And it just threw me completely off guard. I had no idea where he was going with this. And eventually, he said to me, he says, Mark, I have noticed that you have lost a lot of weight. He says, is everything okay? Financially. You know, and here was an unbeliever who was so concerned about me, I've never forgotten this story. And, you know, it's in a secular workplace, and he was prepared to, to, to give me money because he was, wanted to make sure that I was okay because he saw me lose all this weight, and I, I was quite relieved, and I said, actually, I'm okay, I'm fine, I don't need anything, I, I've just been, you know, exercising and, and eating less. But I thought, what a great example, you know, of, of just that attitude, right, that, that's looking and being aware of the needs of people around us, you know, and, and kind of having that eye. Because the reality is, right, it's not everybody is, is going to feel comfortable to ask for help. I know there's been times in my life where I needed some help, but I, I didn't ask because it's embarrassing. It's shameful sometimes. It's hard for us to do that. And I think as a church, we want to have a good eye out for our, our folks, you know, and be aware and have that kind of, of, of spirit within us. And then in verse 17, he says, Thus faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so we, we start to put this faith and works dynamic in context. He's talking about this practical help for people in need. And, and the bottom line is this. You know, we can say we have faith, but if there's no evidence of it, it's not real, is what James is saying. And today we're talking about transformation. You know, our faith is a living faith, it's a living hope, it's transformative. And that's the whole purpose of this, right? There is a difference that's made in our life. We can't come to Christ, we can't meet this one of whom we've been singing and that not make a difference in our lives. 
It just cannot be. I can't come and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. And there's been no change in my heart and in my life. That just doesn't fly. And that's what James is getting at here. There's a proof in it. There's a proof in it. And we begin to see what he's talking about, right? Transformation. And James, I want to be very clear here. James is speaking of works which flow out of true conversion. Paul's emphasis is he's talking about works leading to salvation. So when Paul talks about faith and works, he's addressing those, those works of righteousness that we think we can do to get saved in the first place. And he's addressing, you know, keeping the law and, and the, the, the Israel, the Jewish people who thought that they could, you know, have their own righteousness by doing works of the law. And so when Paul talks about works, he's talking about works that justify me to God. And we know that that doesn't happen. That, that doesn't exist. There is no works that justify us to God. And James is talking about works that flow out of true and saving faith. And so there's no tension here. And that's what James is talking about. He's addressing this whole issue. And in verse 18, he says, Someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. Lots of people say they have faith. And some people might say, oh, well, it's a mutually exclusive thing. You know, well, you have faith and I have works. And that's, that's just the way it is. We're different. But the reality is, and what James is pointing out to us here, is that these two concepts are actually inseparable. They're not mutually exclusive. They go together hand in hand, right? And how could really anyone possibly demonstrate faith apart from works, right? I mean, we can testify to certain truths and we can say, oh, yes, I believe that. But, but how can I you know, demonstrate to you or how would we ever know that that person has had an encounter with the living Christ if there's no change, if there's no works flowing out of that, right? There's just no proof in that. That's just, that's just lip service. That's empty talk, right? And our actions testify to our faith. That's what James is getting at here. Those works flowing out of a true conversion experience, that transformation that Christ makes, are evidence and proof that it's more than just empty words to us, but that there's something has really happened here in the life of this person. It's a big deal in the world today, you know, and there's, there's lots of empty for profession, there's lots of false profession out there, lots of people claim that they know God all over the place. I mean, American president, presidential candidates all claim to be, you know, Christians, <laughs> and we wonder about that, right? We don't want to enter into judgment, and yet, maybe not, you know. Maybe not. Maybe there isn't that consistency there, right? And people around us in this world, you know, they're aware that we're making these professions of faith and they're looking for genuine, they're looking for reality in that. You know, the world is looking for reality in our profession. If we say that we know God, are we different? Are we just like they are? And, and that's what James is getting at, right? Because the reality is they don't, know, they don't really care how much we know until they know how much we care. We've heard that expression before, right? And there's a proof there for you and me. And we have a testimony in this world, beloved. And, you know, we can have all the, the perfect doctrine that we want. And I'm not against good doctrine, not at all. <laughs> That's a good thing. But, you know, we can have the perfect doctrine in the world. But if there is no proof of it in changed lives that are impacting this world for the kingdom of God, then what is the point of it? I mean, we can just sit here every Sunday and we can listen to the message and we can say, man, it's a great sermon. And nothing. What's the point of that, right? The context here that he's talking about is, is practical helps for the needy. And Jesus had a couple of similar thoughts. In Matthew 7, he said this. Now, he was speaking of false teachers here. 
But it's a similar thought. He says, by their fruits you shall know them. Obviously, right? I mean, we identify that false teacher by their fruits, just like we would a, a, a good teacher or a true Christian. By their fruits you will know them, Jesus said, not by the confessions that they make, not by the words that they say, but by their fruits. What is the fruit of their life? In John 13, he said this to his disciples, by all this we'll know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's true saving faith results in action, results in transformation, results in good works. And you know, this love that Jesus talked about, this love for one another, we know that that results in deeds. First John, uh, John uh, uh, defines this for us in 1 John 3.18. He says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And that's exactly what James is talking about. It's not enough for me to say, you know, uh, Ken comes over to my house and he has a, he has a great need and it's not enough for me to say to him, brother, I just love you so much. And I just give him a big hug and I, you know, I'm just loving on him emotionally and I say, see ya. That's not what John says. Let's not do that, he says. But let's, let's love in deed and in truth. There's a, there's a practical outworking of that love within the church. But you know, we're, we want to be clear here. I, I'm not trying to suggest this morning that works commend us to God. That's not what we're talking about. That's what Paul addresses. So I repeat myself. We're talking about works that flow from saving faith. We're already acceptable to God, and the works follow that. They don't commend us to God. They don't make us, you know, somehow right with God. Or I can say, oh, you know, look at all the ways that I practically, I, I've given all of my income to, no. It's faith that we're saved on. We're talking about works that flow out of saving faith. But the reality is that you and I can live lives not only corporately as a, as a church here in this community, but as individuals daily in our lives, right? The way we live gives testimony to the truth of the, that we say that we believe and that we believe in Jesus Christ. And in, in verse 19, he says this. He says, you believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Woo! Uh, he's saying, oh, that's great. You say you believe in God. Isn't that nice? So, do, so does the devil. Satan himself knows Jesus Christ personally. He's been, he was created by him. He's been in his presence. He goes and he's accuser of the brethren. He appears before God just like he did with Job and says, eh, eh, you know. He know he, he, he's been in the presence of Jesus Christ. Satan believes in the existence of Jesus Christ. The demons believe and they tremble. So to say that we believe is without True saving faith, you see, is, is not what we're getting at here. Is it possible to make a claim of faith and still be unsaved? Is there such a thing as false profession? Is there such a thing as a, 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 an American presidential candidate? We're not picking on anyone. We're just saying in general. To get up in the election and say, oh, yes, I'm a Christian, and possibly not be? I think we know the answer to that. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 7? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. True saving faith. It is possible to have false profession. It is possible to say that I believe, but I really don't because I'm just trying to please the crowd that I'm with. I'm just trying to fit in. I'm just trying to be part of that, you know, whatever, and get whatever blessings I can out of it. But Jesus says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons? We've done many wonders. And what's he going to say to them? I never knew you. Never knew you. Depart from me. That's sad. That's sobering. 
It is possible to have false profession. It is possible. Sometimes you hear, you read about in the, in the internet, you know, various preachers talking about easy believism. What, what they really mean by that is just simply this notion that if I just, you know, say the sinner's prayer, we're not talking about genuinely, okay? Please, please don't misunderstand me this morning. But, you know, I was, as a kid, you know, going up to the altar calls and saying the sinner's prayer, and I didn't mean it. It was just, you know, it's a thing to do because I was under pressure from my friends and the adults, and, you know, I'm 12 years old, and everybody's going to the altar, and the girl that I really like, she's going to the altar, and so I got to go up there, too, and make this profession of faith, and so I did. But it wasn't mine, if you know what I mean, right? It wasn't real. It was just, a, it was just lip service at that point, right? It is possible, friends, but we can't come to Christ and see no change. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's what? A new creation, everything has passed away. All the old stuff, everything has become new. And that doesn't mean that, you know, overnight we're the perfect Christians and, you know, no, of course not. There is a progression, there is maturing, there is growth. But things become new. There's growth to maturity. Satan and himself believe in Jesus, but they are not saved. What does it mean? Well, we can give mental assent to the facts of the gospel. I've met people. In fact, I had a, a man years ago I was witnessing to in the workplace, and John, John Barry is his name. And as I would share with him one night, he said to me, he says, Mark, he says, I absolutely believe that what you're saying to me is true. And he said, I'd very much like to get saved. He says, but I know that if I do, my wife will leave me, my parents will throw me out, I'll have no friends left, I'm not willing to make that decision. And he was dead serious. He wasn't joking with me. We were on the night shift. We were in the office together. And he, he was so sober when he said that to me. There was nothing flippant about it. He absolutely believed in the facts of the gospel that, yes, Jesus came. He died on a cross. If I, if I, if I take him as my Lord, I can be saved. But I'm weighing the cost. The cost is too high. I'm not going to do that. And that's, that's Satan, right? Oh, yes. He knows who Jesus is. He knows very well. He believes in him in that sense because he knows he exists and that he's real. But he is not saved because he has never received him. And that's all the difference in the world. And when we read in the scriptures that, you know, uh, about biblical belief, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, yes, it is as simple as faith. But it's true faith. It, it's mine. You know, it's that honest cry from my heart where I come to God and I agree with God and I say, yes, Lord, I am a sinner before you. I, I turn from my sin, God, and I want you to come in and be my Lord, be my Savior, and to save me. It's mine. It's real. It's genuine. It's not just because my girlfriend was at the altar with me and I wanted to, you know, go on a date. It's real. It's genuine. And, and in John 1, it says, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And biblical belief includes that concept of repentance and receiving of Christ. To believe on him is more than just, yeah, okay, I believe the facts about him. It's to actually take him personally as mine. And that's all the difference in the world. And that's the difference between the demons and Satan and you and I. Because they will not do that. Absolutely will not do that. We want to believe on him biblically. And when we do that, everything changes for you and for me as the Lord's people. 20 through 22. He, he brings in the example of Abraham, which is really interesting because Paul all, also uses Abraham for his perspective on faith and works in Romans chapter 12. And here James brings in the same, the same uh, event in Abraham's life to talk about works and faith, working in conjunction, right? There's no contradiction. 
And he talks about this fact, right, that Abraham was justified when he, when he offered Isaac his son on the altar, and that faith was working together with his works, and by works his faith was made perfect. And that's an interesting thing, right? And of course, Abraham is the father of faith. The scripture says so. And so we want to consider well this example from Abraham. And, you know, we know the story, right? I mean, Abraham was asked by God, go up to Mount Moriah and offer your son to me there. Well, I mean, the very fact that Abraham even took the first step towards that hill says a lot about him. Uh, that's very convicting to me. He was a man of faith. He believed in God, right? And so he took that step, and he went up to that hill, and his son was asking him all these heart-wrenching questions along the way, and where's the sacrifice, Dad? And Abraham didn't answer him, but he eventually had him bound and put on top of the sticks. I can only imagine what was going through that boy's heart. But what if Abraham, you know, got up to that mountain... Let's say, you know, God says, okay, go on up there and offer your son. And says, okay. So he goes up there and he decides, no, I'm just going to bring a couple of goats and I'll offer them instead. Well, Abraham's faith wouldn't really have been proven in that, right? I mean, he wouldn't really have believed that God is the provider. And I don't really believe for an instant that Abraham, I can't prove this, it's not in the scriptures, it's just my speculation. But I really believe that Abraham knew God so well that he knew that somehow God was just going to provide a sacrifice, and it wouldn't be his son. I believe that. But he was willing to go so far as to raise the knife. And God speaks from heaven, and he stops him. And he says this in Genesis twenty-two twelve. He says, Now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And in verse 16, he says, Because you have done this thing. And Abraham's faith was perfected. It was brought to completion, if you will, through what he did. It wasn't just simply saying, oh, yes, God, I, I believe what you're saying is true. No, he acted on it, and he acted in obedience. And because he did that act, he proved that his faith was made perfect. What does that mean? Well, God's faith moved him to works, right? And God was pleased with that, and it fulfilled the purpose of God for Abraham's life. You know, I mean, I think that's a, a large part of when the Bible talks about our faith being mature and perfect. It, it, it's fulfilling that purpose for which God has saved me. And he has saved me for a purpose. He saved you to do something as well. He wants to do something very important in your life if we will allow him to do that. And when our faith becomes perfected through those works, we're, we're fulfilling the purpose of God in my life. What he wants to achieve, what he wants to be done, that we might honor him, that we might glorify him, that we might grow in him, that we might become more like the Lord Jesus, and that we might impact this world for his kingdom. And in that sense, his faith is, is made perfect through that work because his faith resulted in action. And you know, uh, some of us were, some of the guys here from this church were at a men's conference last fall um, over in PEI. And if you've never been to that, guys, I would highly recommend uh, that you go. It's just an incredible weekend. And we had a, a fiery preacher from Quebec called Danny Dugas. And if you've never heard him, wow. <laughs> I'm still talking about that weekend. <laughs> And, you know, Danny had some pretty tough challenges for us guys that weekend. I mean, I'm telling you, you could have heard a pin drop in the room, but, like, he was pulling no punches. But he did it in such a way he was very loving, he was very gracious, and, he, you know, he didn't do it with an air of superiority. But he really laid it down in real terms for us. And I'm not going to try to reenact Danny because you can't do that. But, you know, he's very emotional, he's very engaged, and he's very descriptive. <laughs> but he, he challenged us as men. He says, man, like, do you really think that God's purpose for you is to just warm your tushies on the seats every Sunday by Sunday and do nothing 
to serve the Lord? You know, what, what are we doing for Christ? And that is God's purpose in his life. God's purpose was not to save me so that I could just enjoy the blessings of knowing him. And it is. And that's a beautiful thing. And we need to take time for that so that I could just come here and sit in that comfortable seat every week and, and have all these great things in my head, but that it might result in actions in my life, good works that flow from God, by which I reach people and I testify to the fact that Jesus Christ is on the inside and I impact this world for the kingdom of God. And that's the perfection of faith that we're talking about here. It's not somehow that that work commends me to God and I get credit for it, but that rather that God's purpose is being worked out in my life, that for which he saved me for. And Paul talked about that, right? I want to, you know, do all that I've been apprehended by Christ to do. He wanted to serve and fulfill all those purposes for which Christ had saved him and pulled him out of the world. And we are Christ's ambassadors and God has designed us to serve him in works. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what this is about. It's about true and saving faith that results in us fulfilling the purposes of God in my life and walking in those good works that God's already prepared. Because when he saved me, he had something in mind. And he says, yeah, I'm going to save that guy Palmer. You know, he's going to come to me and I'm going to, I got works for him to do. I got stuff for him to do. And I'm going to use him to impact this world. And that's the same for you too. You know, that love of God is, is far more than just a general salvation. I believe it's very specific. He knows us all by name. He knows us intimately. He formed us. He created us. And he's got a plan and a purpose to do something in our lives for his glory. Praise the Lord. Verse 23 says, the scripture was fulfilled. Abraham believed God. <coughs> Excuse me. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Praise the Lord. He was called the friend of God. And now we can see that the full impact of Abraham's faith, it was faith in action. The full impact is faith in action. Abraham was God's friend. Jesus said, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. Yes. We want to be God's friends. We're going to serve him in the way he's called us to do. Verse 24, James finishes with this. Well, we're almost there. Sorry, right. you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. What's he saying? He's saying it's not enough to say that we have faith, but that we demonstrate it through the works of our life. That's what he's saying. He's not referring to saving faith here. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about lip service. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. He's not saying that, you know, he's saying the lip service of, that, that goes to that. Say, oh, yes, I believe, but there's no change in my life. That's what he's talking about. He also brings up another example here in verse 25 of Rahab the harlot. And you remember the story, the, the spies, right? They came into the city and they uh, were spying it out. And Rahab took them in and she uh, hid them and protected their lives. <clears throat> and they entered into a covenant with her that... You know, they would spare her life uh, when they took the city. Rahab obviously had faith. We don't, we don't know the story about her, but she believed that the God of Israel who was with these Jewish people was, yeah, he was on the move and he was doing stuff and she believed clearly that God was with them and they, they were going to destroy her city. And so she had faith enough to put her own life at risk to hide these men and protect their lives. And so they entered into a contract with her, one based that was stipulated on works. You do this, we will save you. And she acted on that. Her faith 
was realized and that she took steps of faith to conceal these men and she believed in God <clears throat> and her faith moved her to do something. That's the example here, right? It wasn't just lip service. Oh yes, I believe that God is with you. He's going to attack the city. Great. No, she actually did something with that. Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. When Paul speaks of works, he's referring that works that lead to salvation. In other words, this notion that somehow I can just by doing good, I can be right with God. God's going to, you know, have the eternal scales, and he's going to weigh my good deeds against my bad deeds, and if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, then I get to go to heaven. No. False. Fake news. That's not true. That's what Paul is dealing with. James is speaking of the works that flow from true and saving faith. And that's what he's saying here, that faith without works is dead. In other words, if you claim to have faith, but there's no evidence and proof of it, that faith is not real. It's a false profession, is what he's driving at here. That's what he's talking about. There's no contradiction. True and saving faith leads to transformation. It leads to a change in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 3.8, Paul says, We all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's a transformation going on in my life, little by little, day by day, year after year. God's working his grace out of my life, and I'm becoming just a little bit more like the Savior all the time. It's a progression of maturity in our lives. In Philippians, he says that he's confident of this very thing, that he who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Our faith is not static. It's not dead. It's not just lip, you know, a, a, a profession. It's real. It's living. It has a purpose. It's growth. It's, transform, it's transformative. The reality is that sometimes, even as the Lord's children, we can get away from him. I, I, I'm guilty of that. For many years as a Christian, you know, I can get away from the, the works that God has prepared for me, and I can, you know, this whole world that we live in is, is always vying for our attention. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. It's very attractive, you know, the world. Uh, it is. It's designed that way. <laughs> you know, the bright lights and the excitement of it all, and, you know, I used to work for PepsiCo, and, you know, we sold, like, you know, sugar and water in a bottle, and, uh, so from a product standpoint, there's not much to market. But so you'll notice with Pepsi commercials, right, it's all about image, lifestyle. Because that's, that's all, you know. So you try to create an image that people say, yeah, if I drink Pepsi, I'll be cool and I'll be this and I'll be that. Because the product itself is sugar and water. <laughs> and some other chemicals that are actually uh, have to be transported under uh, dangerous goods. <clears throat> but we won't go there. This world is vying for my attention and vying for yours, and sometimes as Christians we can get off track, and we are truly saved. Yes, we are. But I'm, my heart has gone after, I, I'm, I've been deceived by the deceitfulness of riches. I'm chasing after these rabbit trails in life, and I've gotten off track. I'm not, my life is no longer about you know, serving the Lord the way it should be because I've gotten off track, and, and I think James, he's addressing that in the church. You know, we, we want to be very clear here. I'm, I'm also not suggesting to you that unless your life is just perfect with good works all the time that you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying either. We can be truly saved and off track. But by God's grace, we can, we can start fresh with him. And, he's, and I think James is reminding believers of their, their true position, of their true calling, of their true privilege in Christ to serve him. We can, we can be good ambassadors for Christ. We can be living examples of the transforming power of Jesus Christ and impact a lost and dying world. And James is reminding the church, and he's reminding my heart of the truth of that, that, hey, 
you know? Let's get engaged. And let's put that faith in action. And you know, so, so we, we, we are excited to see churches that do that. And I love coming in here and seeing a board down there with all kinds of people on there that you're supporting in the work of the gospel. Praise the Lord. But you know that not every church is like that. Sadly, there's lots of churches out there that aren't really doing much to, to support the Lord's work. That's just the reality of the day in which we live. But we want to serve, and I want to just share this quick story with you in closing. And, 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 and before I do that, we also want to thank you very much for your support of us. It means a great deal. Just thank you. And bless you. Couldn't do it without you. And uh, we just thank you for that very much from the bottom of our hearts. But you know, there's a book out there called The Case for Grace by Lee Strobel. And you've all heard of Lee Strobel, I'm assuming. The Case for Christ. There's a movie coming out soon. I don't know if it's... Is it out yet? I'm not sure. If you haven't seen it, I'd recommend it. It's the story of how Lee Strobel came to faith. He was a, a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. His wife got saved, and he was really upset by that. And so he thought, well, as a journalist, I'm going to prove this stuff wrong, and then I can, you know, deal with that. And he got saved in the process and wrote The Case for Christ. Um, well, he's written several books. One of them is called The Case for Grace. Incredible. If you, if you ever get a chance to read it, I highly recommend it. And he documents the lives of five or six people and how the Lord reached them. But rather than focus on the, the stories, the emphasis here, I want to focus on the works of a particular church in Las Vegas. And there was an, a man there who was in a, a dumpster one day searching for scraps of food to eat. He was actually a nurse by profession, medical professional, uh, who had become a drug addict and had gotten so low in life that he was literally in a garbage can looking for lunch. And he said to himself when he was in that can, he says, he says the thought dawned on me. He says, the reason you're in a garbage can is because you are trash. That's all you are. You're just pathetic trash. So anyway, he went over to the shopping mall to beg for money to feed his drug habit. And he met a Christian lady there who invited him because their church had a ministry to addicts. And so what they would do is uh, every Saturday they would open up their church facility and they would have showers for these guys. They'd come in to get a hot meal, a free change of clothes, a hot shower. You know, I mean, a very practical way of reaching lost people and just helping meet the needs, you know. And I mean, the reality is a lot of these guys aren't going to become church members in the next, you know, 12 months. But they're just doing that anyway as a, as a way to reach, through good works, the proof of their love of God. And this man came into that building for, you know, he was very uh, ashamed and ashamed of himself to even have to be there. But he thought, you know, I got no choice. I got to go there. And when he got there, there was a, a younger lady there who um, just saw him, and she felt the Lord just saying, go give that man a hug. So when she went up to give him a hug, he just recoiled in horror and said, get away from me, you know, because, you know, he, he lives in dumpsters, right? He stinks. He hasn't, you know, it's a terrible situation. He's like, get away from me. You have no, you know, just stay away from me. And she says, I just want to share with you the love of God and that he loves you. And she embraced him anyway. Today, that man is saved, and he has a ministry to addicts. And he ended up marrying the lady he met at the mall. <laughs> because the church was willing to put their faith in action. And do a tough job, because, you know, dealing with that kind of people is not easy. It's tough ministry. But they do it anyway because they love God, and they want to prove that and make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ. May the Lord help us as individuals and as churches to live out that faith, that we impact this world. You know, we only have so much time. I was sharing with Ken, you know, like life is fleeting. We think sometimes we have forever, especially when I was 18. I thought, oh, man, you know, and 
There she goes. We only have so much time. We have a limited time to serve the Lord. We want to make sure we take every opportunity to lay up treasures in heaven for the glory of Christ and to see souls come into the kingdom. May the Lord help us. Father, God, how we thank you for your amazing grace, Lord, your love and your mercy to us. Father, that reached down when we were your enemies, and we were dead, and you rescued us, oh God. Father, we think of that image of filthy rags, and that's what we were. But Lord, we thank you that the love of God met us, saved us, rescued us, Lord, and that you've made such a difference in our lives. Father, we confess that, Lord, we don't walk before you with perfect hearts. Lord, we fail you. We get off track. But, Father, I just pray for grace today that you would speak to each of us, Lord, and that you would just renew us today, O oh God, that you would revive us today. And, Lord, that you would just use our lives, Father, in service for our King. Lord, we look to you for strength. We look to you for opportunity. And we thank you, O oh God, for your, your goodness to us, O oh God. Bless you, Father. Thank you. Lord, how we just thank you for our time together today, Lord, and, and perhaps I could even say thank you now for the meal that we can receive and share together, Lord, for all that you provide for us, O oh God. We bless your name, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.